Welcome to the Daily Naked Pair Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name's Chad Ratliff, and I'm your host today. And also today with us, we have Beverly Thomas, who is a married mom of two. She's been an elementary school teacher for 30 years. Her daughter is 27 and is not disabled. Her son is 24. He's mostly nonverbal and has epilepsy. And over the years in talking about his disability, Beverly has focused more on epilepsy because it doesn't get as much attention as autism. So we're going to focus there today. But Beverly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Where are you calling in from? From Livermore, California. Livermore, California. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about when you knew something was different with your son and when the epilepsy kind of came into the picture? Okay, well, he was diagnosed with as autistic when he was three years old. I knew something was different before that when he was about two and a half, maybe. He had language, but it never developed. He never developed language past of about a, a two-year-old, you know, single words and short phrases. He kind of gave up on that a little bit later and really doesn't speak much now. He started to have seizures. He was diagnosed with epilepsy when he was 15, which is pretty common for epilepsy to be diagnosed during puberty. It's a common time for it. And was it uh, something that came out of the blue? Not sort of, but not exactly. So he had gone through kind of what I would call a crisis and it was unclear whether it was psychiatric or it was seizures, what it was. His behavior became more erratic. He had been up one night. I had seen some things and that had led me to believe that he started researching seizures, but I didn't really know what to say to his pediatrician. But then one evening he had been up all night. He had insomnia. He was just pacing the floor. He was very, very anxious. And he just had a grand mal, a tonic-clonic seizure out of the blue. So then it was clear that there was no mistaking it for a seizure. Did you know what to do in that situation or how? Well, well, sort of. I mean, I knew to call, because it was his very first seizure, I called 911 and he was transported, you know, to the hospital. They ran the usual tests. They did a um, CAT scan. They did other tests. And of course, nothing showed up in his, you know, in the structure of his brain. So he was fine. He was released. About a day later, his psychiatrist called me and said that she wanted to start anti-seizure meds if we didn't have a referral yet to a neurologist, which I did, that she was thinking that they, some of the things that may have looked like their basis was psychiatric, were actually seizure, were actually caused by seizures. The behavior was the same, but some of the things that he was doing, an intense need to flee and that, you know, to elope and that stuff can be symptomatic of an aura, of a seizure aura, the feeling before seizure. Okay. I'm assuming this is like a traumatic experience. It was like 2 a.m. and he's on the ground seizing, you know, as I go back and, you know, he's flat on his back seizing. But in a way, 
it was a blessing in disguise because it brought to light the seizures. So okay. in, a, in a strange way, yes, then once you know what it is, you can begin to treat it as such. Okay. And what age is his cognitive? Um... You no, know, I don't. To be honest, I don't really know. I've never wanted to do an IQ test for him because they're not made for somebody who's nonverbal. To do that, they could give me a score, but it may or may not be accurate. He understands his receptive language. What he understands is excellent. So you can say, I can give him a two-step command and a regular tone of voice and say, hey, Steve, go put this on the table and then go bring me that. And he'll do it. Okay. The receptive language is excellent. We have to be careful what we say around him. It's unclear what his cognitive skills are because of his disability, but he's toilet trained. He's independent. I would say it's child, but I'm not really certain. But he knew that he was going through seizures and... He does now. I don't think at the time he did. I think he was feeling an aura that night when he had the insomnia and he was up pacing. He was drinking water compulsively. And one symptom of of an aura can be a bad taste. It can be olfactory hallucinations. You can think you're smelling something and you're not before a seizure. The, The feeling before a seizure. I don't think he knew what it was then. I believe now he does because of the way I can usually look at him and tell that a seizure is coming. You know, he'll be very, very quiet. He'll stand back against a wall. He'll kind of withdraw. And I can see that where his where it's at. But he can't tell us without language that that's what's happening. He can say he doesn't feel well. One time we were at a um, local burger restaurant. He loves a burger and he um, burger and fries, his favorite thing. And he was getting kind of upset and he just wanted to go. He handed, he didn't want to eat, handed us his tray, walked out to the car. And the minute he sat down in the back seat, he started to seize. So he was feeling it coming on and wanted to get out of the restaurant before it happened. Does medication help? Um, It had helped for a while. It was under control. We went through a period about a year ago or two years ago, it started to get worse. He was having seizures more often. He had what's called a VNS implant done, which is colloquially referred to as a pacemaker for the brain. It's a device, kind of a pacemaker-like device that gives an electrical current to the VNS nerve, which is the main nerve that runs through the body to the brain. And that did reduce the severity, but not the frequency. Finally, we did, he was still having seizures up to once a week. We requested a second opinion. He's on a different anti-seizure med, and now it's been seven months since his last seizure. Yay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So the meds do definitely help. It's looking like it's more controllable through the right medications. And oftentimes with epilepsy, it can be trial and error, but not all epilepsy is controllable through meds. What's one of the worst moments on this journey of yours thus far? You know, I mean, I can't break down that he went through, I'll call it, you know, before the seizures were probably the most difficult because he didn't have the language to tell us what was going on. That was probably the most difficult time. Some of his behaviors were very erratic. He did things that would look like, you know, that would put himself in danger. But overall, he is, has come a long way since then. And you've already shared, um, you know, some of these with us, but Is there something that stands out that you wish you knew then that you know now? One of the things I wish I knew and that no doctor ever told me in here, I'm a teacher. I mean, I'm not, my my sister's an optometrist. My dad was an optometrist. I mean, I have 
people in the medical fields in my family is that up to 30% of people with autism also have a seizure disorder, epilepsy. And it doesn't get talked about much. I never knew that until after he had that first seizure. And then they told me, I think pediatricians should do a better job of saying, telling parents that it's scary, but I think the truth is less scary than, you know, trying to hide it. Now, one thing about that, as I say that, is that seizure disorders are more common who have severe language impairment or who have cognitive impairments, but it's still much more common in people who have epilepsy. Epilepsy is much more common in people who are, have autism than it is in the general population. And the same actually goes the other direction between epilepsy and autism. People who have epilepsy are more likely to show autistic traits than the general population. It's a related condition, but not the same one. Well, I'm grateful to know this. I mean, my son's nonverbal and very low functioning. Yeah. And 30%, I mean, that's something I would definitely want to know about. Exactly. And no pediatrician ever told me that. I suppose I knew because when he had that first seizure, the uh, pediatric, so we have Kaiser. I don't know if you're familiar with Kaiser, the giant. And one of the nice things about Kaiser is that if you have an ER visit, all of your physicians get a, a, a report from the ER visit. So after that first seizure, his psychiatrist called me the next day. And the neurologist that he was referred to called me and basically said, you know, I can treat this symptomatically. So he didn't have to go in for any EKG, you know, brain measuring the the seizure activities. She said we could do one of two things. We could either start the seizure meds right away because she said that because of his functioning, he had a greater than 50-50 chance of having a second seizure, in which case they would diagnose epilepsy anyway. So it just seemed because I had already believed that I was seeing some seizure activities, but didn't know what to say to the physicians, I thought it was a good idea to just go ahead and start it. And I don't regret that. He's had plenty since then. I had seen him, for instance, sitting at a table eating dinner and he didn't get upset, but his eyes, I forget what they call it. My sister would tell me his eyes started to rock like that. And it's not something you could do intentionally. My, as my sister, the optometrist said, well, it's either a seizure or he's really drunk. That was, you know, the two possibilities. You can't do it with your eyes. It's like a bounce. I see. Any aha moments that you can think of? Well, I mean, the specific moments, maybe not, but maybe just the understanding that it's important to look at physical causes of behavior as well as other, you know, as well, look at the physical causes for behaviors. In other words, the epilepsy, the the electrical activity in the brain, as well as looking for behavioral explanations for what kids are doing. I think there has to be a balance between those two. Definitely. I think that's a great point now that I'm enlightened. Yeah. So it's just like looking at the two of them. And if I had not Looking back in 2020 hindsight, I don't blame myself at all because I didn't have the background to know. I knew what I had seen with his eyes. I knew what he would, odd things that I'd seen. But nobody talks about that there are 40 different types of, over 40 types of seizures. Wow. And so everything is not his tonic-clonic seizures where he drops on the floor. I've seen him have a seizure where he stumbled like, for lack of a better explanation, a drunk sailor. You know, like he's been drinking and he's like, whoa, dizzy. And that, that they can look very different than what we expect that they would look like. That would be a partial seizure. How does it affect him emotionally now? He's 24. How does that affect him emotionally? Well, after a seizure, 
the only thing he'll want to do is sleep for like a day. And that's pretty typical. It's the, you know, it's like a recovery period. I don't know that it does. I think it's just, I think he's better at accepting himself for who he is sometimes than we are. So it's just something that he deals with and it is what it is for him. Yeah. I met my son Rocco. That's why I say he's my greatest teacher because he doesn't worry about the Exactly. I mean, so yeah. It's just like, well, you know, it is for me what it is. Yeah. So how about for you? How do you, I have to imagine that this journey hasn't always been easy. How do you take care of you? One of my hobbies is drawing. I don't have any pictures to show you today, but <laughs> if you look at my Facebook page, I have some of my drawings as means. I've always loved to draw. My grandfather was an artist and it's, that's kind of my therapy. Awesome. And so you've used that through the years? Yeah, I've used that through the years. I mean, more so in the last few years, I've gotten back into it, but but I have used it through the years to kind of deal with it. The way you present yourself, you seem to, you know, to handle the situation just in stride with what it is. Um, has it always been that way for no. you? <laughs> no. I mean, yes and no. I'm good at, okay, so I'm a teacher and we're pretty good at hiding our emotions sometimes because... Like when you're in a classroom, if you let a child know that you're angry with them, particularly a six or frustrated would be a better word. If I let a six-year-old know that I'm frustrated with them, they play it. It's like the dog who smells fear, you know, they, they know it and they'll go with it. So I'm pretty good at hiding my emotions, but no, I haven't always dealt with it that well. Phones used to cause me, phone ringing used to cause me to jump out of my skin. Mm. You know, the sound of a phone going off. Speaking of which, I have to turn mine off. There, forgot to do that. But it will send, you know, it'll send me like, whoa, because I would associate it with bad news. Oh, he's had a seizure. Oh, he's, you know, done this, oh, that. Right. No. You shared a, a favorite quote of yours. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. Martin Luther King. Yes. One of my favorite quotes. It wasn't, of course, applying to disability, but just making progress, moving forward and changing things. I love that. Yeah. It's a different approach to that, that quote. It's my, probably my favorite quote that that's a good one. I love that. It's, um, you know, I think it's easy to get stuck the not having the ability to run and just exactly. like staying. It's like speech. If you think of running as speech. So like, let's say you're thinking of running as speech. The ability to speak. Well, if you can't speak, then use ACC. If you can't use ACC, then use PECS. Look, find the way to communicate. Yeah. You know, the, teach our kids the way to communicate, whatever works for them. And it's still forward movement. It's not backtracking. I like that. So we do like a little lightning round with one word to one sentence answers. Are you, you okay with okay, that? So one word to one sentence. Okay. Yes. Try to stick to it. Just to get through more questions so we can get more of your perspective. Sure. What's the best advice you have received? Take it as it comes. Share a personal habit that contributes to your success. Well, my drawing and making sure I communicate clearly. Great. Do you have a top resource recommendation to share with other parents? I would look into the American Epilepsy Society page if they're interested in epilepsy. Otherwise, there are plenty of good ones for autism. What's the next thing on your list you want to add for your individual well-being? Getting more exercise. 
What's one thing you think would improve your life if you did it or had it? I mean, I can't complain about my life. I think probably learning to let go of things. I hold stuff. That's awesome. I do too. It doesn't benefit me most. It doesn't help. (laughs) Maybe ever. I really appreciate how you've highlighted the epilepsy along with the autism. Do you have any kind of final guidance that either is in line with what we talked about or something else that you'd like to share with the parents out there? I think I would tell parents when our kids are born, we don't know. I mean, my daughter is typically developing. She's works in marketing and, you know, is a very successful university graduate. Both my kids, I had the same expectations, but I think that you have to look towards that as it changes. You don't always have absolute control over it. And I think we, as parents, sometimes we beat ourselves up over, oh, I'm not doing enough. Oh, I'm, you know, I need to do more. I need to do more. And while that's sometimes true, sometimes, you know, it's like that saying, you know, that saying that people say behind every successful child is an involved parent. Well, sometimes there's an involved parent behind a child who doesn't develop as typically, who doesn't make the progress. And I don't think that we can lay blame. As a teacher, I try to always remember that no matter what the parents are doing, they're trying, they're doing what they believe is best. I think um, you gave us a lot of wisdom today. I know that I gained from talking with you and I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and share your story. I appreciate the invite. And I hope that we can connect down the road and stay connected because this is easier together than alone. Absolutely. I I do believe that. And, you know, there'll be, there are times when, you know, I'm sure people in the community feel frustrated by others in the community, but you know, there, there is support out there. Thanks Beverly. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. This concludes our show for today. And I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics. And the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes and we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long. So long.